This evening we're finishing up our little mini-series in Isaiah 40. So please turn there in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm going to read from verses 12 all the way through to the end of the chapter. Isaiah 40, verse 12, all the way to the end of the chapter. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings the princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh God, we ask for your help now as we look at the last few verses of Isaiah 40. We pray that you would minister to us by them. Help us by your spirit to understand what is written here. Lord, we wait for you, even in the exposition of your word, that you might strengthen us and help us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
So we are focusing in this evening on verses 27 through 31 of Isaiah 40. And by way of review, Isaiah 40 has taught us that God is literally limitless. Not like Michael Jordan's work ethic, which was commendable, but merely seemed to be tireless, limitless. The man slept, the man rested, his muscles needed to recover like anybody else's. God is limitless, not like Einstein's genius or whoever else, whatever other smart person we might think of, whose intellect seems to be infinite because it's so far beyond ours. No man knows everything, not Einstein or anyone else. There are limits to every creature. But God, as the creator, is literally limitless. Limitless in power, limitless in knowledge, etc., and yet the Jews in Babylon, prophetically anticipated to be in captivity in Babylon, say in verse 27 of Isaiah 40, after unfolding all this about God, we read in verse 40, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? This is what the Jews in captivity in Babylon say in spite of who God has been seen to be in Isaiah chapter 40. So let's look at that accusation a little more closely. My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. The accusation here is twofold. A, or firstly, God doesn't know about my suffering. My way is hidden from the Lord. B, or secondly, God doesn't care about my suffering. My right is disregarded by my God. Let's look at each aspect of that twofold accusation in turn, beginning with the accusation that God doesn't know about my suffering. My way is hidden from the Lord. Way, in this case, means one's condition. Or situation. So the sense of the phrase is my condition is hidden from the Lord, or my situation is hidden from the Lord. In other words, he doesn't see it. He doesn't know about it. The Lord doesn't know the situation I'm in. The Lord doesn't know what condition I'm in. Do you ever feel like that? We know that we're supposed to say, no, I never feel like that. We know that we're supposed to say God knows everything, and so God knows the condition I'm in. God knows the situation I'm in. We know we're supposed to say that, but do you ever feel like God does not know what you're going through? That God doesn't know your condition. God doesn't know your situation. Let's look now at the second aspect of this twofold accusation. My right is disregarded. By my God. At a basic level, the accusation pertains to neglect. The key word would be disregarded. God is disregarding me. If the first accusation amounted to God doesn't know, the second aspect of the accusation amounts to God doesn't care. God is disregarding me. But the accusation is even stronger than that, actually, because the word here translated in the ESV as right, 
or translated in the King James Version as judgment, is the same word used way back in Genesis 18 when Abraham was interceding for the city of Sodom. And he says to the Lord, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just or right? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This is the word that's being used here in Isaiah 40. So the, the question there way back in Genesis 18 was a question of justice. And because it's the same word here in Isaiah 40, the accusation is an accusation of injustice. The sense of it is God is disregarding justice in my case. God is not doing what is just. The judge of all the earth is not doing what is right in my case. God is disregarding justice in my case. God doesn't care about injustice committed against me. Again, can you relate to this aspect of the accusation that the Jews levied against God here at the end of Isaiah 40. Again, we know we're supposed to say that God never does wrong and is never unjust toward anyone. But do you, in all honesty, ever feel like God is unjust toward you? That your right, your justice is disregarded by the Lord? Perhaps you felt that it was unjust of God to let one of your loved ones die. Perhaps you felt that it was unjust of God to strike you or a loved one with a serious disease or another medical condition or a disability. Perhaps you felt that it was unjust of God to allow you to be abused. There are a number of situations we could identify in which people sometimes do in reality feel very much like the Jews at the end of Isaiah 40 here. God does not know. God does not care. My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by the Lord. Before we look at the answer of the prophet to the complaint, let us be sure that we understand the complaint. Here are the Jews in Babylon after experiencing severe famine and psychological torture during the siege against Jerusalem, and then physical and sexual violence against them when the city finally fell. Now here they are by the waters of Babylon, as Psalm 137 says, Psalm 137 goes on to remind us, there they sat down and wept when they remembered Zion. On the willows there they hung up their lyres, for there their captors required of them songs, and their tormentors mirth, saying, sing to us one of the songs of Zion. But they felt like, how shall we sing this Lord's song in a foreign land? And they cried out, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. This is what was going on. And again, I ask you, have you ever felt that way 
Obviously the circumstances differ, but the feelings can be very similar. The human experience is often very, very similar across cultures, across time periods. At times, many people feel invisible to the Lord and perhaps even disregarded by God as if God might see and hear, but doesn't deign to respond. Our cries of anguish, how long, O Lord? And our pleas for justice, how long, O Lord? Don't seem to be answered on the timeline that we hope they would be or they're not answered in the way, the manner in which we hope they would be. And so we, like the Jews here at the end of Isaiah 40, cry out, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Isaiah responds to this twofold complaint with two reminders, and then an additional point of reassurance. So let's examine those now, beginning with the first reminder, who God is. It's only been two weeks since we looked at verses 12 to 26 of Isaiah 40. We took a break last week, but the week before, we had looked at verses 12 through 26. But perhaps some of you have already forgotten who God is. And I've been feeling this past week or two with all of this stuff going on in the world, like God doesn't know about the suffering that's going on in the world. My way is hidden from the Lord. Her way is hidden from the Lord. His way is hidden from the Lord. If you're feeling like this though, you've forgotten. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He knows and sees all, all. Every one of the stars in the sky has a name known to God, according to verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Every one of the stars has a name. Nothing is hidden from God, not even in the far reaches of the universe. And as it is with the stars, so it is with his sheep. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 100 tells us. And Isaiah 40 verse 11 told us that God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Oh, the Lord knows. No one's way is hidden from the Lord as his eyes see all. And certainly the way of each and every one of his own lambs is known unto the Lord. Believer, Little lamb, your way is not hidden from God. Perhaps God doesn't care then. If he knows what we are going through and doesn't do anything about it, maybe it means that he is just disregarding us. 
Let's now consider the prophet's second reminder. The first reminder was who God is. He's the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Your way is not hidden from him. Let's consider his second reminder. God's understanding is unsearchable. He does not faint or grow weary, the prophet says in verse 30, or pardon me, verse 28, in keeping what has gone with what has gone immediately before. It's not as if God doesn't relieve the suffering of his people because he's too tired to do it. It's not like his vision is limited, his hearing is limited, or his energy is limited. Again, remember, he's the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And then the prophet comes to the real meat of his answer to the complainants. God's understanding is unsearchable. It's not that his arm is too short. It's not that his eyes can't see that far. It's not that his ears are failing, that he can't hear you. He can hear you. He can see you. Why then isn't he doing anything about that suffering, which is making you feel like maybe God doesn't know or God doesn't care? Why isn't God doing anything? God's understanding is unsearchable, the prophet says. How utterly unsatisfying at first. How could you let this happen, God? We rage. What are you doing? God, about the suffering and the injustice in this world, we question. And the answer comes from heaven. My understanding is unsearchable. We want answers, details, plans, processes, timelines. And yet the answer comes from heaven. My understanding is unsearchable. None of these things are forthcoming. No answers, no details, no plans, no processes, no timelines. Isn't this very similar to God's answer to those in, who in Romans 9 accuse God of injustice for electing some individuals unto salvation and not others? God says to them, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Again, how utterly unsatisfying at first. We complain, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by God. And God comes back to us and says, no, look, I see you. I hear you. My understanding is unsearchable. How utterly unsatisfying at first. And I say at first because there actually is real satisfaction here. But it's behind a thick layer of God-centeredness that perplexes and frustrates and offends us at first. All we hear at first when we hear, my understanding is unsearchable. And who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? All we hear at first is that God doesn't answer to us. That God's not going to condescend 
to answer all the questions we have. And that bothers us. We try to get a meeting with God, so to speak, so that we can press the points that we'd like to press with him. And so that we could interrogate him with all the vigor of a quality journalist. But God doesn't play that game and won't meet with us on those terms. And so we are unsatisfied at first. But it's just at this point, it's just here that we have, that we have an opportunity which will really prove truly satisfying in the end. And the opportunity is to really and truly trust God. The two reminders that the prophet gives in response to this complaint that the Jews raise are first that God is the God described in the earlier part of Isaiah 40. He is the everlasting God, the creator, omniscient, omnipotent. He knows your way is not hidden. And second, God's wisdom is unsearchable. That doesn't really answer our specific questions or complaints, but it places before us the opportunity to truly trust God. Let's consider now the prophet's reassurance. And the reassurance is going to pertain to what happens when we trust God. But before we come to that, we should think here about what it actually means to trust God in the context that we're speaking of here. If we said to God, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by him. And then God showed up and told us why he was doing a certain thing. Why he unfolded the events of our lives and the events of this world in the way that he did and showed us and reasoned with us and proved to us why it was best to do it the way he has done it. It would help set us at ease. But it is precisely at the point of not knowing why God does what he does that we have the opportunity to really begin to trust in who God is. The everlasting God whose wisdom is unsearchable. That's what waiting on God means. You see that phrase in verse 31. They who wait for the Lord. Trusting in who God is. That when we don't have the answers, when we don't know why, we trust that God is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth whose understanding is unsearchable. That's the opportunity before us to do that. To wait on the Lord. To trust God. There's a story my boys learned in homeschool about two friends taken from James Baldwin's 50 Famous Stories Retold. And full disclosure, I don't know if it's true or not. But here's how it goes. A young man whose name was Pythias had done something which the tyrant Dionysius did not like. For this offense, he was dragged to prison and a day was set when Pythias should be put to death. His home was far away, and he very much wanted to see his father and mother and his friends before he died. Only give me leave to go home and say goodbye to those whom I love, he said, and then I will come back and give up my life. 
The tyrant laughed at him. How can I know that you will keep your promise, he said. You only want to cheat me and save yourself. Then a young man whose name was Damon spoke and said, O king, put me in prison in place of my friend Pythias and let him go to his own country to put his affairs in order and to bid his friends farewell. I know that he will come back as he promised, for he is a man who has never broken his word. But if he is not here on the day which you have set, then I will die in his stead. The tyrant was surprised that anybody should make such an offer. He at last agreed to let Pythias go and gave orders that the young man Damon should be shut up in prison. Time passed, and by and by the day drew near which had been set for Pythias to die, and he had not come back. The tyrant ordered the jailer to keep a close watch upon Damon and not let him escape. But Damon did not try to escape. He still had faith in the truth and honor of his friend. He said, if Pythias does not come back in time, it will not be his fault. It will be because he is hindered against his will. At last the day came, and then the very hour. Damon was ready to die. His trust in his friend was firm as ever, and he said that he did not grieve at having to suffer for one whom he loved so much. Then the jailer came to lead him to his death. But at the same moment, Pythias stood in the door. He had been delayed by storms and shipwreck and feared that he was too late. He greeted Damon kindly and then gave himself into the hands of the jailer. He was happy because he had come in time, even though it was at the last moment. The tyrant was not so bad, but that he could see the good in others. He felt that men who loved and trusted each other, as did Damon and Pythias, ought not to suffer unjustly, and so he set them both free. I tell you that story because trusting God when we don't know what is going on, when we feel like our way is hidden from the Lord, when we feel like our right is disregarded by the Lord, trusting God when we feel like that is something like Damon's trust of Pythias. It's trusting in God's character as Damon trusted in the character of his friend, the integrity of his friend to return. It's trusting that God really is the everlasting God whose understanding is unsearchable. So for the Jews in Babylon, the perspective of one trusting God would sound something like this. I know we must justly suffer some for our sins and that the land must lie fallow for 70 years to enjoy the Sabbaths we never gave it. But it seems to me we have suffered more than necessary. Why the prolonged psychological stress during the siege when mothers were reduced to eating their own children? Why the rape? Why the torment of our captors asking us to sing happy songs while we're here in a foreign land? Oh God, we look to you. We ask your mercy. We ask your intervention. We know that you hear us and we trust your wisdom. We will wait for you. 
And for the modern day person, the perspective of one trusting God would sound something like this. We know this world is in rebellion against you. And even the ground itself is cursed for human sin. Yet at times we feel like Cain in Genesis 4. Our punishment is greater than we can bear. We see injustice all around us and disease and natural disaster and the relentlessness of it all overwhelms us. We look to you, O oh God. We ask your mercy and your intervention. We don't know why you're doing what you're doing, but we know that you hear us and we know that your understanding is unsearchable and we will wait for you. And the reassurance given in verse 31 of Isaiah chapter 40 is those who wait thus for the Lord shall renew their strength. See, we come to a decision point when we reach the end of our rope, when we are out of strength, when we're just done, when we just can't even, we come to a decision point. Do we wait for the Lord as described above? Or do we just dig deep and try to muscle through ourselves? We need to understand that even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Friend, you can't always and indefinitely just dig deeper. Perhaps it is true that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but listen, some things will kill you. The phrase here translated in the ESV as young men apparently would have been understood by the original readers to refer to young men specifically selected and trained for military service. And so the sense would be something like this. Even the U.S. Marines, even the Army Rangers, even the Navy SEALs reach the end of themselves eventually. Our power, no matter who you are, our power is not exhaustible. Even the best of men are men at best. So reckon with it. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted so you can't just dig deeper forever at some point you break maybe you literally die maybe your mind breaks your emotions break you snap you have a breakdown you're burnt out whatever you call it you reach the end of yourself you're done you can't when you come to the end of yourself then when you faint when you have no might when you are weary and fall exhausted what do you do when you come to that point where you just can't watch the nightly news? When you come to the point where you can't open the door to your deceased child's bedroom because all the memories would come flooding back. And you, when you get to the point where maybe you feel like you can't face another round of chemo, whatever it is, when the breakers of this life are crashing upon you, over and over when the relentlessness of difficulty and challenge and struggle are hitting you and hitting you and hitting you when you're done when you can't even when you have no might when you faint 
when you are weary, when you fall exhausted, at that point, you might feel like my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. But right there, you have an opportunity before you to really wait on the Lord. You have an opportunity to really trust in God's character, the way that Damon trusted in Pythias's character. You have an opportunity when God won't answer you and he just says, look, I'm the creator. I'm the everlasting God and my understanding is unsearchable. And you say, why, Lord? And he says, my understanding is unsearchable. And you say, how long, O Lord? And he says, my understanding is unsearchable. There, at that point, when you're done, when you have no might, you have an opportunity to really trust, to wait on the Lord, to trust in God's character. And the prophet's reassurance is that those who wait for the Lord, who trust in the Lord, that's the sense of it, will renew their strength. Of course, this does not mean that your 85-year-old grandmother will be able to arm wrestle a lumberjack and win so long as she trusts in the Lord. Instead, this means that having come to an end of herself with whatever it is that she's facing and dealing with in life, having looked to the Lord, she will find herself enveloped with a strength beyond herself. She'll be like a lamb carried in the bosom of a shepherd. This means that the 35-year-old mother who feels utterly exhausted with parenting will find when she looks to the Lord spiritual strength sufficient for carrying out the day's activities in a way that pleases the Lord. This means that the 50-year-old man trying to work hard on his job and stay faithful in his marriage and lead his family in a Christward direction against the current of this world which pushes him away from all those things. This man will find the help of the Lord in these endeavors once he looks to him. Independence and trust. Once he waits on him. When the Lord asks us to do things that we cannot do in and of our own strength, and we come to the end of ourselves in the doing of them, we come to the end of ourselves in the doing of them. We're not really at the end. The Lord is there at the end of ourselves to help us continue, to carry us along, to bear us up. We shall be able to go on. In the path that God has ordained for us to walk, we will run along that path and not be weary. We will walk and not faint along whatever path it is that God has ordained for us to walk. Has the Lord put you in exile in Babylon? Wait on him 
and you will find strength sufficient to bear up under it. Has the Lord ordained for you to walk a path of injustice? Wait on the Lord and the Lord will help you to bear up as you persevere along that path. Has the Lord called you to walk a path of physical suffering, like medical issues or something like that? Has the Lord called you to walk a path of emotional turmoil with great emotional difficulties around you? Wait on the Lord and he will strengthen you to continue to run, to walk along that path that he has ordained for you to walk. I think that the word run is here to encourage us that it's not just always just barely getting by, that the Lord is not just barely strong enough to help us, but sometimes we're able to run along the path that God has for us. But I think the word walk is there to give us a realistic picture of what the Lord's sustenance is going to look like. Maybe we're not always running. Maybe sometimes we're just putting one foot in front of the other. But whether we're running, whether we're walking, when we're waiting on the Lord, we find that we have sufficient strength to walk the path that God has for us to walk. You see, we may not have all the answers, but we have the answerer. We may not know how the oil will get in the jar, but we will find, as the widow did in Elisha's day, that the oil somehow just keeps flowing. Our way is not hidden from the Lord, and our right is not disregarded by the Lord. This is the comfort that this last section of Isaiah 40 brings us as the whole chapter is about comfort. The comfort here at the end is that our way is not hidden from the Lord and our right is not disregarded by God and that the everlasting God whose understanding is unsearchable will strengthen us and help us to run or to walk along whatever path that it is that he has called us to walk. And so even when we find ourselves in Babylon, sorrowful, and our tormentors are saying, sing the happy songs of your homeland. We say, how can we sing the Lord's songs in a foreign land? And we feel like this is more than we can bear. When we look to the Lord, he will give us strength to continue along whatever path it is that he has ordained for us to walk. We have but to trust God, to wait on the Lord. He doesn't promise to answer us. He doesn't promise to sit down and reason with us. He doesn't promise to sit down and explain to us what's going on. He just reiterates, I'm the everlasting God, and my understanding is unsearchable. But if that's true, that he's the everlasting God and that his understanding is unsearchable. And if it's true that your way is not hidden from him and that your right is not disregarded by him, but that your way and your right are in the hands of the everlasting God, whose wisdom, whose understanding is unsearchable, then that is a great comfort. And it's a great comfort on top of that 
to know that he will strengthen you in the meantime until he brings everything to its proper resolution. Sometimes things look and feel hopeless, don't they? There you are in Babylon. There your loved one is in the casket. There Jesus is in the tomb. History is full of moments that look and feel hopeless. But the way of God's people has never been hidden from God. Their right, the right of God's people has never been disregarded by God. God will always sustain his people through the darkness. And at the right time in his unsearchable understanding, he will lead them out of it. For the Jews in Babylon, one day they went home. One day, Jesus rose. One day, in God's unsearchable understanding, he will bring everything to its proper end. And in the meantime, those who wait on the Lord will be able to run or walk along the path that God has ordained for them without becoming weary and fainting. When we come to the end of ourselves, God will supply us with his strength and carry us through. So look to God. Trust in his character and in his promises as Damon trusted in Pythias. Trust that Yahweh is the everlasting God. Trust that his understanding is unsearchable. Christian, trust that your sins really are forgiven in Christ. Trust that the sins of others may also be forgiven in and through Christ and tell them about it. Unbeliever, trust that this offer goes out to you in the midst of all the chaos. Maybe you're faint and you're weary and you're falling exhausted. Trust that there is an offer even for you to wait on the Lord. Trust that God promises to make all things new in and through Christ and that that promise will be fulfilled. There's a lot we don't know, but we know one who does. So wait on him. Wait on the Lord. You'll find that even when you come to the end of yourself, God will strengthen you enough to keep you going along the path that he has ordained for you to walk. Wait on the Lord.